Hey everyone, it's Steve-O from Not Another Bee Horrorcast, and you're listening to another great production on the 4i Radio Network. For more great shows, check out www.4iradio.com. Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling, tingling, tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? Oh, so much. To listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. This episode is also supported by our spectacular and up patron, Bo Harper. Yeah. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can visit us on patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. Um, Walloping Word Snappers is our game that you can uh, play with us. It's an improv game. Um, um, where you can submit words and we will have to work them into our podcast however we can even if they are completely random and or weird and and don't have anything to do with anything we did not have any words in our last episode so if you looked and found some weird things that seemed <laughs> off that was just us that was just us <laughs> <laughs> but if you'd like to play along just uh listen closely and if there is anything that seems odd or maybe seems like something that someone else might have submitted that might be the uh the words that were submitted and we'll find out on the next episode um we'll reveal what those words were yeah in the meantime we've got a very exciting episode today that's yes. been a long time coming probably since before we even started the podcast yes up in the air we are talking about the amazing, the spectacular, the ultimate Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. <laughs> you forgot friendly neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, should I just like, list all of them? And then I was like, literally every single <laughs> adjective. <laughs> but then I was like, if I kept going, then I would feel obligated to get every single adjective. And yeah. if I missed just one of them, I would hate myself forever. So You got the major ones. I got the major ones. Yeah. 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 I feel good about that. <laughs> someone's very very offended they're like oh but you didn't say and it's like their favorite <laughs> yeah yeah how could you miss web of yeah, exactly <laughs> it's all right um, yes it is because we have a very exciting conversation it's going to be a little bit different if you're a new listener to this show which welcome first of all if yeah you thanks are, i imagine I'm, i'd venture to guess that we might get a few new listeners to this one just because into the spider-verse is kind of the current cultural moment for spider-man still right I feel like <laughs> and there may be some strategic timing as to when this releases <laughs> hmm, hmm, huh. i'm gonna get to that but yeah so if you're a new listener welcome it's gonna be a little bit different than how we normally do episodes we've got we're gonna hit in the major beats but um since this is a, a movie we can only be but so granular without this being like a four to five hour podcast yeah um, yeah if you're new we typically cover episodes of shows and uh spend way more time than the episode itself <laughs> <laughs> yep yep so we're not going to do kind of a we're not really going to do a beat by beat of the plot necessarily we'll kind of go over that but 
wanted to sort of go into our thoughts on like the, some of the production history a little bit, the people involved, just our general thoughts, and kind of hit the kind of the greatest hits of what we enjoyed and took from the movie and and also sort of how it's uh like the the kind of reper- the repercussions of it i guess like how it's how it's impacting things for spider-man since then since it's it has legacy been out for a while. If you it's will. legacy that's a much better word than anything that i said <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Can you tell I'm off book right now? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we both had coffee before this. <laughs> yes, yes. It's finally kicking in, thank goodness. So, speaking of timing, the reason that we're doing this is, uh, you might have heard, Into the Spider-Verse did just hit Netflix on June 26th. So, you'll be hearing this, of course, after that's already out. So, hopefully you've given the movie a rewatch or watched it for the first time, if you hadn't before. If not, you can go ahead and do that now. Um, and so we figure there might be kind of a resurgence of people talking about it since we've gotten some easy access to it. Mm-hmm. But in addition to Netflix, it is also available for purchase like across every digital platform ever. And of course, it's also on the 4K, Blu-ray and DVD. Lots of really cool special features as well. So highly recommended to, to get that. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, if you haven't watched this, you definitely should. And uh, as much as we appreciate you listening, you should 100% watch the movie before listening to us talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because we're not going to go beat by beat, so uh, you might get confused. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff happens in this movie. Yeah. Um... Right. <laughs> yes. Ah, oh man, I don't even know where to start with this. I guess Yeah, this is weird. We've never covered a movie before. I know. It is it is weird. It's fun. I guess we can just kind of dive in and yeah. then just kind of take it cuz we've got lots of fun information from uh from sort of the making of. There's tons of information out there on how this movie was made, like a yeah. lot of the uh the artists um involved especially have been super open about the making of this movie. So you can spend hours and hours and hours just getting caught in a Spider-Verse hole, <laughs> like oh, looking at, yeah, <laughs> uh, looking at stuff. So um, we'll just highlight, uh, pull some of the, the most interesting information kind of to us to talk about, yeah. but there is so much stuff out there for this movie. They've been so open about it. Um, it's so fun. And there's, like I said, so much really cool stuff on the, uh, on the Blu-ray as well. That's, that's all worth checking out. So yeah, so uh, just to kind of jump into it, though, um, a real quick synopsis per IMDb. Teen Miles Morales becomes Spider-Man of his reality, crossing his path with five counterparts from other dimensions to stop a threat for all realities. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you have to put it into, like, one sentence, that, you know, that gives you an idea of what you're about to watch. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's not perfectly accurate because it's not really a threat for all realities. Right. I think that might have been a cut plot because in the, one of the trailers, I remember they said that the 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 dimensional machine, whatever, was going to like destroy everyone's reality or the whole multiverse. But then in the actual movie, like that line wasn't in there and it never happened. So yeah, well, and like uh, if if people aren't aware, this isn't the first Spider Verse property. So there was a, there were comics, and in the comics, I think it probably was a bit more of a <laughs> multi-dimensional threat. This one True. sort of takes place in a more contained environment than that so who knows maybe yes. uh maybe it's written with that in mind that makes sense yeah, yeah whatever also we never trust imdb for anything so yep. <laughs> <laughs> we love you imdb yeah. very helpful for many things but uh sometimes you make very funny mistakes yes of course yes, of course yes, yes. 
Well, this movie was released uh, in 2018 on December 14th. It was a wonderful holiday release, and uh, I can't believe it's actually not even been a year. Yeah, That's it wild. feels... It, it, no, right? It feels like it's been out a lot longer than it has. Yeah, it, it kind of does. Yeah, I think because it was such a big, like, cultural thing, like, I fe- it was... I don't know. I, I, I guess, and, and we've been hearing about it for so long because it was, uh, it was still being talked about by the time award season came around. That's true. Um, yeah, it yeah. wasn't a flash in the pan, so its life was a lot longer than some movies that might um, sort of explode, but not have as much of that impact or legacy than this one might have. Plus, it did a lot of really significant things, so I think more has been squeezed out of of what it did than a typical movie might. Absolutely, absolutely. And we'll get into exactly what those things are um, as we go through this episode. Yeah. But I think the uh, the creator credits for this one are, are very interesting and kind of very telling for the kind of movie that it is. Yes. The story for this, this is sort of the brainchild of people that maybe you wouldn't recognize their names off the bat, but you're going to recognize things that they have done for sure. Um, so the story credit is credited to Phil Lord. He is best known with his writing partner, Christopher Miller, who did have a, a hand in the development of this, the creative development seems of it. Like, it seems like even though Christopher Miller isn't credited in the same way Phil Lord is, like they normally would be, mm-hmm. his fingerprints are kind of all over it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. He Because he, he was a producer on the movie. So yeah. I think like maybe Phil Lord was the one who broke the story. And maybe this seems like maybe it was a little bit more of his babies than sure. Miller's. But Miller still like had his hand in it in the same way that he does for um, every other movie that they've done which they are credited for writing and or directing on films like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the Lego movie, the 21 Jump Street remake, and all of their sequels for all of those movies. I think, too, if you've seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and the Lego movie, you can see the familial sort of threads. Um, I know they're not the only ones responsible for Into the Spider-Verse, but there's definitely stuff that I can I can see having having influence from them over all those properties absolutely there's a very particular like writing style that they have mm-hmm. um this yeah. is actually kind of a piece of trivia that, that's a little bit later but they're kind of the the density of the movies that they make and the stories that they tell i i think that they're very good about packing like world building and packing in as much stuff as possible and and also like as many jokes as possible yeah. it's what makes their movies feel so full and so full of life so even the plots are the plots themselves aren't necessarily heavy or, or or anything, but like the world of them and the characters are very very rich and very dense. Yeah, yeah. They also are known um, for mm, this is it, it's a little bit like less fun and, and uh, it's it's really interesting to like read about this. But yeah. they were the original directors of Solo, a Star Wars story, um, before they were kind of very publicly fired. And it's still it's one of those things that's still like no one's ever told the full story straight because of course you couldn't because that'll be bad pr but for whatever reason there were creative differences with them making solo um, between them and like the producers and the people who actually run star wars from a financial standpoint more than a creative standpoint um and they were fired and replaced with ron howard which a lot of people have a lot of opinions about (laughs) about that change and about solo so yeah i um to say nothing of of the solo movie we got just of this particular bit of its history i'm still fascinated by this because when i knew that they were or when i heard that they were connected to it i was sort of thrilled and it felt like a really natural relationship 
Han Solo and these two guys. And so when they were removed from the project, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so bizarre because it felt like such a good match. Yeah, and I'm sure, I I wonder if the people behind Star Wars are kind of kicking themselves a little bit with the uh, success of Spider-Verse considering... It's a similar scenario where they're sort of taking the reins of like an offshoot of a very humongous property. Mm-hmm. And then they, of course, excelled at it in this case. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I Someday. would love someone will write a book. Oh, yeah. I would love to see the alternate universe where their solo movie got made. Oh, and me that's too. Speaking, it's like I like the solo movie. fine. I think yeah. it I think it got a little little more hate than it deserved. But yeah. I would still love to see their version of it. Oh, me too. Big time. Lord and Miller also have worked a lot in TV. They've made a lot of great shows. They they created both Clone High and The Last Man on Earth, two very good, very weird, and very funny shows um, in the same way that you'd expect from all of their movies, too. <laughs> they also wrote and, produ- and uh, produced on How I Met Your Mother. I, uh, I should watch, I guess, How I Met Your Mother a little bit then. I'm like yeah, so outside of that culture. I know almost nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, I I, I kind of missed the boat on it. I watched a little bit of it, and I still have like it. And it's funny; it's a sitcom. Yeah. You know, it's what you'd expect. It's like right. the least weird of the things that they've done, I think. But you know, you can. I think you can definitely get a little bit of their touch and their sense of humor on it. Sure. Because again, it's one of those things where their humor is just very fast paced and very dense, and you definitely mm-hmm. get a little bit of that in that show. Clone High was also very good. That's a nice little cult favorite. Um, and there's like a there is a cult Clone High reference in the movie hmm. in Miles's universe. There's like a, a Clone High. Oh god, I don't remember what it is, but I think it's it's like a reunion poster or something, implying <laughs> implying that it, like it went it went for a long time instead of being canceled. Like really, that's quickly. funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly have never even heard of it, so I wouldn't even been I wouldn't have even caught any references to it. <laughs> it's good. It's a really funny show. I watched it when it was on. I haven't watched it since then, but it's hmm. by these two guys, so you yeah. know it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm 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 on board just knowing they're attached. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like we said, um, Lord did uh, technically write this without Miller. Um, this is actually the first film that Lord has written without Miller, but they still produced it together. And it's obvious in interviews that uh, Miller still had a huge hand in its development and, and its kind of creative storytelling and everything. So, oh, for sure. If you like, if you listen to the interviews, they talk just as much as one another about it. And, and Chris Miller doesn't seem at all removed from the decisions that were made and the story that's being told and all of that. I mean, he's he gushes about it just as much as anybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely just the weirdness of of how things get credited in movies mm-hmm. um, is all it is. Um, and they're like old friends too, so it could entirely be that like you know Phil Lord just naturally works with Chris Miller, whether they're officially working together or not. So right, you know, like it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. That said, uh, he did uh, Lord did write the screenplay with someone else, just not Miller. Um, he wrote it with someone named Rodney Rothman, who is a, a pretty big deal. He started out on the Late Show with David Letterman and actually became the head writer on that show, which for a lot of comedians is is sort of the uh, the gold standard for for comedy writing, especially in TV. He also wrote the films Grudge Match and Twenty Two Jump Street, hmm. and produced Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Get Him to the Greek. All right, yeah, <laughs> not insignificant credits for sure. Not at all. And this was uh, directed by three people, um, including Rodney Rothman, was one of the directors. The other two are also very interesting people for different reasons. Bob Perchietti is one of the one of the directors. Um, this is actually his first directorial credit. Like this, oh, wow. this was his director's debut, which was, seems like a really big project for your first your debut as a director um, because of how different it is. You know what though? Sometimes, 
and I don't know if this is an animation thing exclusively or or more commonly, but it certainly happens a lot in animation where somebody's first film is, you know, a large animation company's, you know, film. And part of that is just how much or how little sometimes those animation studios put out. Um, but also a lot of animation studios are structured in such a way that they provide really cool opportunities for their creators, regardless of what they're doing. So like Pixar, as an example, they, they do lots and lots of stuff to try to make sure that the people who are interested in directing get the chance to see how that works. And, uh, you want to keep the people that work well for you. Um, and so I think that, Maybe there was some of that going on where it was just like he was interested in it. He was in the right environments. I don't know as much about DreamWorks environment as I do Pixar and Disney's. So I don't know if they do the same type of stuff. But uh, if they do, I can see how he would end up on a huge project like this with seemingly <laughs> no uh, directing experience. Yeah. Well, this this was this wasn't even DreamWorks. This was Sony. Right, but um, it looks like he has a number of uh, oh, yeah. credits on, uh, on at DreamWorks. I jumped ahead. Yeah, no, no, but you're right, though. Actually, I don't know if any of these... So he's worked as a head of story on, mm-hmm. on uh, Puss in Boots. He was a storyboard artist on Shrek 2, Flushed Away, Monsters vs. Aliens, which... Was that DreamWorks or is yeah. that Sony? Okay. Yeah. So this might be his first Sony movie, actually, because his only other credits that I found were all on Disney movies. He worked as an in-betweener on movies like Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan. So his directorial like debut might have actually been with a studio he's never even worked with before, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean his credits look right though. I mean if you look at a lot of a lot of uh, first time directors on on movies like this, it looks just like this, you know. <laughs> yeah, that it is fascinating because and I don't know that you really see that with um, with live action directors necessarily. Yeah, like, I don't I know enough like, about it. I think because yeah, because it's like with live action ones, I think you usually have to like prove yourself first mm-hmm. with a smaller project before you can get onto like a big property. But I guess in animation, it's a little bit different because you're because the storyboard artists have to work so closely yeah. with the actual animation directors. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit easier to like be under under their wing and like kind of get the training for it. So you don't necessarily have to prove yourself as much. You can probably just get like a good word put in. <laughs> yeah, for... well, you're you're kind of proving yourself in front of the people, kind of as you're working on other projects you know like yeah you're, you're almost interviewing for projects you don't know that you're interviewing for along the way um when right. you're in an animation studio like that because i don't know so much is team oriented and so much is crossing paths and and a lot of those places are literally physically built for you to run into other people and and collaborate and stuff like that so mm-hmm. you know it it makes sense that that uh that community is strong and and you would have those types of legitimately well-earned connections yeah yeah it is it's still it's fascinating regardless um because i'll i'll move on to the so the third director and then i'll kind of say my conclusion for all of this so the third director um of this trio is peter ramsey who um he's only known for directing rise of the guardians uh, uh, which, which is so good have you seen that movie i've never seen it but it oh, looks really cool it looks it's really underappreciated cool. it really is underappreciated i think because it has a holiday theme to it mm-hmm. but it's it's good it's really good yeah yeah i mean they're santa and easter bunny are both pretty hot in my opinion, so <laughs> I, i've totally it's been on my list just i uh, never got around to it i think yeah. i will now just uh knowing that yeah that's really his only like his main direct director's credit um he has worked on a storyboard artist on lots of big projects um but not as a director or anything just just for the storyboards for the uh, kind of development of it um he's worked on independence day men in black Fight Club, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Minority Report, Adaptation, which is one of my favorite movies ever, 
A Wrinkle in Time and, and a whole lot more. So yeah, that's interesting because he proved himself, I think, like not even in animation, just yeah. in, in working on these projects, on these, um, all of, all of the things that he's worked on, I think are either like sci-fi or action or just like very heavily high concept. So mm-hmm. probably re- required some pretty intricate storyboarding for a lot of the shots um, to, to put the movie together. So that's, that's really interesting to me. And I think kind of goes to show that they really um, put together like an interesting team of directors. I think it seems like they picked out people specifically knowing that they weren't just going to give them the same old process that they, that they normally would. Like, I think they picked out people who were either um, haven't had a lot of experience or have a lot of experience doing things other than what this kind of movie is specifically to get a very different kind of movie. Because what we got was a very different type of animated movie. You yeah. know what I mean? They needed a team of people who were up for a challenge and not a team of people who were firmly established in a particular tradition. You know, they didn't need, they didn't need like Disney's old men. They needed like the people who were clamoring to get into Disney that weren't allowed because they didn't follow the rules. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that makes this movie so great is because it, absolutely does not follow the rules and in right. fact like does things that in, in some cases i think they're specifically taught to not do in animation <laughs> and breaks a lot <laughs> yeah. yeah the other cool thing about peter ramsey is that he's actually the first african-american in history to win an academy award for best animated feature which is crazy <laughs> I, uh, I want that to blow my mind but i just know yeah i know uh how <sighs> Not not like short the history of animation is time wise, but short generationally. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's only been maybe like three generations of of animation <laughs> because of how the large studios are. <laughs> right. So. Yup. Yeah. Yup. But it is this is a cool movie to win that on because that's kind of the message of the movie. Yeah. Is that anyone can do anything, and so of course we actually get a pretty big uh pretty big breakthrough. Yeah. No, that's I'm so proud of this movie (laughs) oh my god i know right yeah but yeah so they assembled a really cool crew there's even some other crew members that i'll kind of call out as we go through this just some other trivia that we found but like we said they i think i love that this movie isn't just made up of they didn't pull like the biggest headliners that they could to because this was a big property like spider-man is a big deal like it's a it's a big money maker but they were still able to kind of trust people who maybe either weren't proven or just haven't done a movie like this before. And guess what? It all worked out. So taking risks is great is the lesson that you can take from the making of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's a leap of faith. (laughs) 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 Well, there is a ton of production history and trivia, like you mentioned. um, And we're just going to tackle little bits of it that we found cool. So without further ado, here's some interesting stuff that hopefully you haven't already heard about. Uh, Well, the first one you have, at least I hope you have. But this film won Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards, Golden Globes, and Critics' Choice Awards, as well as the Annie Awards, and many, 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 many others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is also the first Spider-Man film to win, win an Oscar of any kind since Spider-Man 2, way back in 2004. Uh, and the Oscar that that one won was for Best Visual Effects. So this is kind of definitely the... Uh, the most award-winning Spider-Man movie oh, yeah. of all of them, um, yeah. for good reason. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, it, it's it's. Uh, I can't really overstate how significant this win is in this category. At this point, any year 
is going to have a Disney or Pixar movie to contend with. And uh, if you can unseat those studios in pretty much every award show, like you really did something spectacular. Yeah. And they, and they did that. They weren't they weren't contending with like minor entries from from those studios. You know, this wasn't the year that the good dinosaur came out, you know, <laughs> which I love. But like, come on. <laughs> yeah. And that's it's fascinating because it's sort of a like. It's weird to think of, like, a David and Goliath story where the David is still, like, Spider-Man. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not like Spider-Man is just, like, this, like, cult favorite thing. Like, everybody mm-hmm. likes Spider-Man. But... Um, but it's a different arena. It's a, it it's a very, very different arena. And there are there are two major players and then probably a third major player every once in a while. And everybody else... Uh, pretty unfairly i would say gets like no chance and sony is not one of the studio i mean they've put out incredible films sony animation um they've also put out some stinkers so like they're they're not one of those players that comes every single year to bat a home run like pixar typically is or disney typically is and how dreamworks frequently is yeah well it's also like the really fascinating catch 22 with with the way that like superhero media is treated within within like the film industry and within like the academy and things like that like anything that decides on what's culturally important because it's sort of like superhero movies are the biggest movies right now that's the biggest genre right now but almost because of that it it still has the that kind of weird stigma where it's like well those are still those are just those movies those are the fun ones for for the lowest common denominator like it doesn't like it 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 still weirdly like has to try really hard to yeah to get like critical approval in a way. I mean, even that sounds weird because like Marvel movies are reviewed really well. Like they always, they always get really great reviews, yeah. but it's still always through the lens of like, yeah, it's good for a superhero movie. Like right. it's still very rare to see one of them. That's sort of, that that's sort of acknowledged for breaking a mold of some sort. Um, and to be fair, it's, I think it's because a lot of them are still, uh, are still kind of playing within like very much within their own genre and sort of yeah. within like the mold that they're expected to. But it's really cool for when a, when a movie, is very clearly and deliberately trying to break out of its own mold somehow and it's fully 100% acknowledged for that. Absolutely. Um so uh, one of the other things I mentioned earlier is how uh like Lord and Miller's storytelling is so dense and just has so much <laughs> stuff in it. And as a result of that all of I, I this I'm sure this is how it is for all of their movies, but the first full cut um of anima- animatics and storyboards for this movie was over 2 hours long, which I think the it's probably the same as what the Ultimate Universe cut on the the DVD and Blu-ray is because I believe that's over two hours long. Mm. Um, so there's just a ton of cut content from it to cut storylines. The directors have attributed this mostly to um, Lord and Miller's uh, kind of very particular approach of adding as many elements to the film as possible. And then uh, they kind of did that at first, like basically went in threw everything at the wall uh, with the intention of sort of seeing what it could handle and then shaping it into a film from there. So sort of like putting out your first, the longest first draft you ever possibly could and then shaping your movie by editing it down. I am in awe of these two. I know. Because that is a really dangerous approach to take. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if being a pair benefits them or hinders them. I mean, clearly these two specifically, it benefits them. Whatever their dynamic is works incredibly. But when you're 
paring down from a lot of content, it gets really dicey because if it's something that you brought to the table and it's getting cut, you have to cope with every single thing that gets cut. And uh, these two, I know that they didn't work in the same dynamic on this one that they do most films, but those two are probably most frequently the ones cutting each other's stuff, you know? so. I'm sure that's made them sort of like battle worn um, and like they've probably sharpened each other's steel, you know, quite a bit. But uh, gosh, that, it's just like such an incredible working dynamic. <laughs> it must yeah. be a wonder to watch. Yeah. And I think that's what really lends to the, the richness of the worlds that they create, because it's like I think of like this movie and like the Lego movie, too, where there's just there's always so much happening at all times. Yeah. Like there's never a point when you're there's never a point where you could be bored. There's never a point when like. There's never a scene or a moment that's like feels wasted or feels like filler at all. Like right. everything, even if it's not necessarily technically important to a plot or to a character, if, if not, then there's going to be some kind of background information yeah. or or extra jokes in there that more times than not land. So it's like it, it, it's yeah, I know it's the same approach that like I, I I've heard other comedy type things do like i know the simpsons sort of uses a similar approach where it's just like densely pack it with as many jokes as possible so that if there is a joke that misses then there's going to be a joke that lands like two seconds afterwards Mm -hmm. but i think like they use it interestingly because it's not just for comedy it's also like to make these worlds so immersive and like so rewatchable too like this and the lego movie both i think are are such good examples of movies that you can just watch over and over and over again yeah. and constantly be be finding new things because like it's not just that they have a couple of like fun sign gags and like mm-hmm. oh there's a reference to another marvel comics thing like no if you just like pause it on any frame, there's bound to be so, like seven different minor jokes or like references that they're making in the background. In addition to like a really creative way that a character is drawn that infers their character or something like that. And it's I think that's this approach informs more than just the types of things you're talking about, too. And that, you know, I think with Spider-Man in particular, there's a big conversation that happens about can you put too much in a Spider-Man movie, especially with Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man 2? I think that's a lot of what the conversation from detractors is, right? It tried to do too much. And I know you've talked about this. Um, This movie, Into the Spider-Verse, argues against that really, really well because this movie is packed with not just allusions and jokes and references and stuff, but half a dozen protagonists and half a dozen villains and you know who they all are, and none of it feels wasted. Right. I mean, it's just incredible, the thought that, that must have gone into all of that, and, and the careful, very, very careful paring down that each thing must have had for none of it to feel like it's excess. Yes. Yes, that's so true. That is so true. There's Yeah, there's so many little moments in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Like, like that, when, I was, when I was rewatching it last night, and it was just like, there's a point when um, before they're, uh, they're about to break in, to Alchemax to like steal the the, yeah. the the information and like Peter is just uh doing stretches on, yes <laughs> on the and it's yeah. like it's such a minor inconsequential moment but it's just like well, of course he's gonna do that like yeah. that's a thing that Spider-Man would definitely do but you know you never really see that in 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 most ways he's depicted because it always has to be kind of so focused on on the plot or yeah. and, and like actually but it's like there's a way to put in these like technically inconsequential things that still help with creating the world and like deepening these characters in really minor ways and doing it like all at the same time while major plot stuff is happening. Yeah. And it's, it takes a real skill to make that work because I'm sure plenty of other 
uh, movies and shows try to do that, and, and and it just ends up feeling like a mess. Yeah, it's it's. I, I love that you mentioned the stretching thing because I don't know that there's. Uh, we have a particular note about this, but I I can't help but mention that uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and the Lego Movie are both incredible at physical comedy, which mm-hmm. is really hard to do in animation. Yeah. And uh, this movie is incredible with it as well. And given the fact that they are sort of a common element, I I have to imagine that these two just have an absolutely just uh, um, I don't I'm I'm trying to think of a, a word other than amazing, spectacular, or uh, you know whatever the Spider-Man words are. We're going to say too much, <laughs> but just an otherworldly <laughs> sense of physical comedy. Uh, yeah. To to inject it so well into every single one of these movies, they seem to touch. Yeah. In animation, none, you know, no less. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of that stuff, too. I haven't seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it is, without a doubt, one of the funniest animated movies I've ever watched. Really? It's hilarious. I would it have never expected that. hilarious. Like, Emperor's New Groove, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Like, they're just, okay. they're so funny. Okay. I want to, I want to check it out. I, yeah. I never, like... When it came out, I was just like, that sounds like a weird concept. And it also sounds like horrifying. No, but, it uh, is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But, uh, but yeah, I'll have to. I, I mean, yeah. once I figured out that they were involved, I was like, oh, this is probably good. I, so I'll it definitely is, see uh, it at some point. It's the first fully computer generated, like computer animated movie that I saw that made me sort of like just dumbfounded at the physical humor you know like i mean other other movies are funny but there's just stuff that that movie does that i'm like the entire joke was physical and it was so good like i don't know i i don't know how to describe it because again it's physical it's something you're watching but neat yeah it's it's really really good cool interesting. firm believer in cloudy with a chance of meatballs (laughs) i will have to check it out i'm i i I will take your recommendation to heart thank you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um so one of the of course like we said one of the consequences of their writing style is that a lot of stuff gets cut um but sometimes for good reason apparently this the film was originally set to feature a romance between miles miles and uh gwen um which you know we sort of got got like little little suggestions yeah. towards in the movie but but it's very much like one-sided and very much like it's just kind of there yeah and, and and it makes sense for like miles's character um mm-hmm. but uh but i guess they were originally gonna make it a whole thing thing <laughs> but uh yeah. while the i uh, uh, and of course um this was mostly due well the other thing about it is that even though the uh, that was i think probably going just going to be gwen's like main character arc was just going to be like romance the girl. the girl but um even though the idea was scrapped she of course has a very major role in the movie as sort mm-hmm. of like the third lead essentially um and this is mostly due to the efforts of producer producer christina steinberg which of course maybe it pays to have a woman on your staff this is this <laughs> is what bringing people into the room who are different than you does for your movie yep this is a prime example of it right they yes. had this idea that they wanted to do they cut it and i don't know if it's i don't know if she specifically influenced the scrapping of that concept or helped them to recover from what was not a fully formed or multidimensional character but whatever she did whatever influence she had paid off because Gwen Stacy is not an empty character in this movie at all and no. nor is she quote just the girl you know like she's fully formed fully <laughs> like realized yeah. character well- 
And her whole character arc and her background has a pretty, I think is really important for the theme of the movie. Mm-hmm. Cause her whole deal is like learning to like depend on other people and that it's okay to have friends and that you're not really alone. And that's kind of the whole, not, that's one of the major points of the movie is that like, you're, you're not alone. And there are other people that are like you that are out there that understand what you're going through and you just yeah. have to find them and be open to finding them, which is really important. Yeah. I like this quote from Oh, I Lord. love it. It's, he specifically says, um, Christina kept us honest. As five boys making a movie, it was really good to have another filmmaker there going, I don't think you guys want to do it like this. And they listened. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. just, like, it's important to have those people in the room, and it's important to listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that quote is really important, too, to say, I don't think this is, like, I don't think you guys want to do it like this. Because I think she she probably fully understood the type of movie they were trying to make and said, you guys are doing something incongruous to that. And they trusted that perspective. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, it's just really, really, really important. It really is. And I'm sure I don't have like a quote backing this up, but I imagine like having Peter Ramsey being one of the directors as a black man doing a movie that features like, Mm -hmm. like a biracial character who is half black. I feel like that, that paid a lot, like had a big influence on how the movie played out. And I think it's really important to have those voices. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it was kind of the right way to do it. Like if you are a couple of white guys with a lot of sway and the ability to make this happen, then that's Mm -hmm. great. Like use like weaponize that privilege, but then you also make sure you bring in other people who have the experiences that you don't, that are going to be important to the stories that you're telling, especially. Yeah. And, and listen to their feedback. And I think that's a major reason why the movie comes out as, as good and feeling as fully formed and so, like, so unique. Yeah. Like, a, it feels like a story that we haven't heard before, even though it, it kind of follows a lot of traditional superhero beats in a lot of ways. It still feels, kind of has that flair of, like, being different. And I think it's because it has voices that we don't hear very often in movies. Yeah, and I think that's actually really well proven in the world of animation. I think when you trust the perspectives of the people, the real life people that represent the characters in your stories, it shows, it shines through. I mean, you look at this movie, you look at Pixar's Coco, you know, those are movies that have like really strong cultural aspects to them. And they they did these two movies right, I think. And then there are other movies that might do really, really well, but just lack those types of perspectives. How to Train Your Dragon, those movies are incredible, but there there are noticeable perspectives missing. And I think that you can feel that in certain areas, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's like this um, this quality that I, I don't even think people necessarily identify right away that makes a movie feel fuller and feel more authentic. Um, and it's 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 bringing the right people into the room. Yeah. And another interesting thing from the writing end. um, So he's not exclusively credited, but there was an early draft. I think maybe even the first draft of the film was written by Alex Hirsch, who was the creator of Gravity Falls, Hmm. which I haven't actually seen that, but I've only ever heard. I've only ever heard that it's like one of the greatest shows ever. And I think I would definitely love it. I just haven't gotten around to watching it. Yeah. If it ends up on Disney XD, I'm sure I'll end up binging it. But yeah, I think it's on Hulu. I think you could get a head start. Oh, oh shoot! I didn't realize yeah. that. I mean, okay. unless they've pulled it already. <laughs> I know that's going to happen to all of our favorite things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he. But uh, I've, I've I've seen him on Twitter. He's a he's a good guy. Um, he also wrote the first draft of Detective Pikachu. Huh. Well, there's a yeah. fun little connection there. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that connection. All right. Well, there's another Pokemon connection that I'll bring up later because uh, that's more than one. I wasn't going to, but now there's more than one. So okay, yeah, I didn't even know there would be another one. So that's well, specifically cool. Detective Pikachu too. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, cool. yeah. 
So one thing that's really obviously notable about this is the style of the film. I think it's it's probably one of the first things people talked about when any sort of footage or art or anything was released from this. And uh, Lord and Miller specifically will say that they wanted the film to feel like you had walked inside of a comic book. Um, and there's really, really cool information and there's a ton of it and we could you know we can only scratch the surface but it's 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 worth looking into so for example um it took around a year a whole year for two animators to create just 10 seconds 10 seconds of footage that reflected what the producers were looking for and then the animation work developed after after that two years for 10 seconds of animation is astounding yeah. I mean, once you get going, you can do a lot. I mean, obviously, any of these projects take a really long time to make. Animation, <laughs> I mean, it, it it's no easier uh, than any other movie you make. And it takes huge teams, tons and tons of time to do very meticulous things. But, I mean, two years for 10 seconds... I know that I know that they made more than that, but to just land on those ten seconds and that vision is like is 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 wild to think about. It must have been the most amazing moment for those two animators <laughs> to finally hear like that's it, <laughs> you yeah. know. You did. I also wonder, that's it. Like, what what the vision actually? How like how do you like the look of this movie is nothing that I could have ever yeah ever like come up with really you know yeah. I mean and granted I'm not like working in animations so that's probably sure. why but but still like to think that like like Lord and Miller and and whoever else was involved was sitting there thinking like. I want the movie to look like this and like the movie that we got, I still, it still boggles my mind how anyone like thought of that. You know what I mean? Like the fact that they were looking at what the animators were giving them. I mean, like, this isn't what I want. And I'm like, how did you know what you wanted? It didn't exist. Well, it didn't exist yet. (laughs) So I imagine, I I, I imagine that was a big part of it. Um, The, the real big challenge with animation is that you have to create everything that you want to portray. So, you know, if you're making a live action movie and you say, I want this character lying on the grass and I want that grass to be, you know, this length and I want it to blow in this direction, all of the tools are already there. You just need to put them together. If mm-hmm. if an animation company wants to do that, they have to build everything from the ground up to do it if it's never been done before. So not only are they creating new technologies, but they're creating an entirely new style. And I imagine that those animators were like, all right, here's here's our first idea. And Lord and Miller probably said like, I like this. I don't like the rest of this stuff. I'm not entirely sure what to tell you to do next, but give it another go. You know what I mean? Like, and I <laughs> feel like it so probably was just this. Oh, probably. But <laughs> I, I imagine if it was just those two two animators, it, it must have been people that really trusted them and that they really trusted. And I, I really, really hope I would love to look into who these people are and what their experience was. I really, really hope that those two people were just taken incredible care of. You know what I mean? Oh, God, I know. Uh, because that would be incredibly frustrating to be working on the vision of something that's never happened before because you don't even have the – not only is the style not there. You have nothing to reference. The tools aren't there either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. it, it, it just it, – the, the the size of that task is is uh unbelievable so it's just it's it's wild to think about i mean like if you think about um like monsters inc doing something with the fur that sully has was was impossible until that movie happened you know yeah it's like that but then 
but then also saying like, oh, by the way, you don't even know what fur is yet. <laughs> right. No, that's yeah, that's so interesting. You know, yeah, it makes it, it it's it's so interesting to think about that because like I think it's really easy to take animation for granted and, yeah. and, and, and thinking like, well, you know, you want to just make it, just draw it. Like why oh, don't you yeah. just do that? But it's like that's you're dealing with like the most like open canvas as you ever possibly could. And it's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you're literally you are literally like making the world from scratch. Like it's it's so intimidating and you're I making sort of... the tools that then you make the materials with that then you put onto a set and then animate, you know? Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, wild. Man. It really is. And the, the the amount of people that worked on this movie is also really fascinating. Um so, you know, we have those 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 animators kind of establish the uh the look of the film um eventually this grew to like 60 animators during production um which i think is normal that it's going to grow yeah and it expanded to finish the film on time um because they knew that they they needed to get the movie out and this was very complicated the the some of the things that they were doing um it expanded to 142 animators by august 2018 but at one point um i think maybe it's sort of at some point in the middle of the process they brought a a few people on um it got up to about 177 animators animators um, mm. which is apparently the largest animation crew that sony pictures imageworks has ever used for a film of any kind wow yeah i mean <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's big that, i'm glad that that's what they did instead of just relying i mean i'm sure there was some crunch involved but i'm glad that when they realized that they didn't have the the people hours to do it on time they added people instead yeah. of just adding hours yeah, clearly I'm this sure is it a was ca- both. But yeah, <laughs> adding like, people is, helps. <laughs> yep, and this is clearly the case where like the people who are in charge of the money s- did recognize that that they were creating something special. I think, yeah, like the fact that they were willing to to give this project like so much stuff. Like, I think it's real easy for for a studio to just be like, well, we gave you the money, we, we gave you the money that that we're gonna give you. Like, that's it. So get it out. Yeah. Um, which is what results in in a lot of movies and shows and video games too that we get now that are like half finished Mm -hmm. um and so yeah so it's great that they that they clearly saw like the worth of this movie early on i think and made sure that it happened because it worked out for them i think um (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that really unique look of the film that they were working towards it was achieved by it was achieved by a lot of stuff but uh but some of the main things that they did so they they took rendered frames from cgi animators and then worked on top of them in 2d so it isn't just like a pixar movie where you kind of just have the entire world created in CGI. Mm -hmm. There is like actual drawn animation on top of these CGI models that they had, which uh, I think contributed to the comic book look a lot. Oh yeah. And then in addition to that, there's also like more varied frame rates. Like some, some characters are animated at different frame rates than other characters are, which is fascinating. Yep. If you aren't sure what that means, just watch any scene with Penny in it. Yes. Yes. And you'll see the difference, even if you don't know what to call the difference. Exactly. You can just tell that like they look otherworldly, like, yeah. you know, which makes sense because they are literally from other worlds. Uh-huh. So very smart on their part. Um, but even even like kind of the, the the main like Miles's main universe, the quote unquote like normal characters, mm-hmm. those are often rendered at twelve frame or filmed at twelve frames per second. Um, whereas most animation typically is usually around like twenty four frames per second, um, which just means like more moving images 
are like more images are happening in the in in those seconds like you're getting more like incremental changes in images yeah. which usually results in more fluid animation um but in this case they they didn't really want it to be fluid they almost wanted it to be kind of like a stop motion-esque yeah. type of movement specifically because they wanted it to feel like that was that was the way that they sort of communicated that this was supposed to feel like a comic book because you are almost feeling like you're looking like like stop motion or like a flip book mm-hmm. like where you you feel like it's a collection of still images creating it um which is really fascinating and they also in addition to that animated it without any motion blur they used an older technique that i don't really understand it's called motion smearing um but essentially it just eliminates all the things that make animation fluid which most people say that they want that and think that they want that but in this case it creates a really really like unique feel for the entire movie which like i said tries to tries to get it to look more and more like a comic panel you can see all this stuff for yourself if you are able to do frame by frame. You can see the difference in this movie and another, any other major animated movie that came out the same year. You can do a side by side for yourself and see it. It's not like a, this isn't just like technical industry type talk. You can, you can, you can look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You'll yes. see the difference. Yes. It's very clear. It's very, very clear and obvious in this movie. And I think like this, I, I, I feel like this is going to be the type of movie that inspires a lot of people to go into it like like animation like a lot of kids who are going to so. watch this i think are going to be inspired for it because they're going to see like they're not necessarily going to know what any of it means or what it actually is but they're going to be like this movie just looks yeah. different and i want to know why i think all of these these major movies are are certainly art but i think this one is more unabashedly and in your face art than other ones try to be Yes. And I think that is something that people recognize whether they're looking for it or not. And I and I think that's what will probably inspire people who might otherwise not think of it as an art form. Right. Exactly. Which I'm I'm so excited that this movie exists. <laughs> oh, me too. That. It's so great. The other thing to kind of add to the unique look of it. Again, there's tons and tons of things that they did for this movie. These are just kind of the main ones. They created a really interesting depth of field in this movie because they they did this like technique called uh they called the misprint style like (laughs) if you watch the movie you notice that it seems like the backgrounds are kind of blurred out but they're not exactly blurred out like there's something off about them you think Um, you should be wearing 3d glasses to look at the background yes yes (laughs) which right well yeah this movie also like i think they really they really wanted to push like watching it in 3d too anyway yeah but even in spite of that, they did this really interesting thing where with this misprint style, the colors are literally like misprinted on the background. Uh-huh. Like they're like, sort of like if you look at an older newspaper, current newspaper probably, where you look at the newspaper comments and you see that sometimes they're kind of off colored, like the color isn't filled into the lines exactly or is a little bit off. That's exactly what they did with it. So again, another aspect of it that just looks like it's coming from a comic. It looks like yeah. it's coming from an old like misprinted comic essentially, but it's only in the background so like it's it's often kind of you don't really notice it it's kind of subtle except for the people that like complained about it which yeah i'll mention later but but for the most part <laughs> yeah it's just kind of at lens to that really unique feel of it um and i think helps you just kind of focus on the characters in the foreground too. the fact that you don't think about it means they succeeded yeah that i mean that's exactly what it is meant to do they re- they replaced a, a common technique with a new technique and it worked well enough that you you don't notice that's that's a lot of the goal that these people are are trying to accomplish is to do something brand new that you don't think about for two hours. That's how they know they did it right. Yeah. That's the thing that's interesting about this movie. I think Um, for me, I know every time that I've watched it, 
like of the three times that I've watched it, it's it does take a second to to get used to it. I think like it's 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 pretty quick. But like for mm-hmm. me, it's with uh with the scene with Miles's first scene where you're getting introduced to him. Yeah, it's sort of like your first real scene. And I think it does take a second to be like your brain is almost like something about this looks off. But then like you adjust to it pretty quickly, and yeah. then you're in it. And I think it helps you get immersed in the in the world more because your brain is kind of buying into this completely different style like of what the world looks like than anything else you've ever seen yeah which is kind of interesting and i think like for maybe for people who who didn't love the animation side of it who maybe couldn't buy into it i think or might have just they, they weren't letting themselves get immersed in the world like it was sort of like think almost thinking about it too much like mm-hmm. this looks weird and then not letting themselves just like not really letting it wash over them just thinking about how it looks weird the whole time and not getting over that yeah i uh i i guess so <laughs> yeah because once you buy into it i feel like it just makes it even easier to yeah. to be immersed in it well, you know and i also think there are things that this movie does that they're really only able to do to the degree of success that they do because of this style because they are are sort of imitating the feeling and, and tone of comics and then representing that on screen they're able to pull off gags and they're able to pull off certain types of of interactions that that I don't think you could pull off with a traditionally animated or CGI animated film. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The score of this movie is something that I love. The so music, much. though. So much. I get like the music from this movie stuck in my head all the time. Yeah. Um, especially right after I watch it. The, the the soundtrack and like the actual like score of it. Mm-hmm. The score was composed by Daniel Pemberton. He even tried to do something really kind of different and unique for it to match the very different and unique animation style of this mm-hmm. movie. Um, so he did. He went ahead and recorded and, and mixed all the musical elements just like he normally would. But then he recorded it onto vinyl and got what he called a DMC World Scratch Champion DJ didn't know those existed but that's awesome <laughs> got got one of those to just re-scratch it back into the mix which love that obviously if you watch it there's a lot of record scratching in it i freaking um, which love that <laughs> i know and it lends to again a really like just unique general feel and immersion of the movie like that you don't see in, yeah. in anything else like the soundtrack itself even even if a lot of the actual like technically a lot of like the the score parts of it it's sort of like pretty typical hero theme and stuff but then it's given this, all of this extra flair because of like how it's mixed in together it's so cool yeah absolutely um and then they you know that wasn't the only sort of unconventional or creative thing they kind of did with the music because different songs use unconventional quote instruments so miles musical theme uses the sounds of real aerosol cans which is you know an element of his character and prowler's creepy motif uses uh the sound of elephant trumpets which is kind of cool to think about yeah i you know and i read that before i did like my my most recent rewatch of it and i'm like oh my god you can definitely hear it but the prowler sound oh god that like that goes up my spine man like it's so it's so visceral yeah yeah prowler's music and um uh i can't think of the name of the song but prowler's music and the uh the riot song are just such like I just feel like I have like a physical reaction to them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. I think it's literally called Start a Riot. I don't know why that was so hard for me to think of. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, the music is really, really incredible. Uh, it really is. I love it. It's such a great. It's worth. It's worth looking up the soundtrack and just giving it a listen. Like yeah. I said, both both the score and the actual like soundtrack. Yeah. It's the compilation of the pop music they play in it. It's all so good. Mm-hmm. So this movie we mentioned is full of all kinds of references and allusions and stuff. Um, we'll certainly probably think of some as we go along, but a couple uh, right off the bat. Uh, towards the end of the movie. As Miles is zipping through the city, he passes a store called Perry Joe, which is a reference to Joe Perry, who is the lead guitarist of Aerosmith and noted Spider-Man fan, who we have mentioned on our podcast before because he performed the theme for Spider-Man, the animated series. Spider-Blood, Spider-Blood, Radioactive Radioactive Spider-Blood. Spider-Blood, yeah. Spider-Blood. Spider-Spider-Blood. You know, eh, that that amazingly, amazingly detailed detailed song yes <laughs> um another cool bit, bit of trivia toby mcguire um if you don't know that name of course the uh, welcome uh, to the world of spider-man <laughs> welcome to spider-man um the the spider-man from the spam raimi movies he was originally considered to be cast as peter b parker maybe both peter parkers but i'm pretty sure at least uh peter b parker but he was uh, eventually like they, they dropped him out of the uh, the running for it because they didn't really want to confuse the audience for it. They I think there's a lot of references to Maguire's Spider-Man being yeah. like being this version of Peter Parker or like being very similar to him. But I think it makes sense. Like they didn't want to tie it to his particular Spider-Man. They wanted to really keep it keep this movie to be very separate from any of the um the film universe aside from a lot of these references it was a cool idea and i actually think he would have been a really interesting performance um he's a very he's a very interesting actor like he doesn't make a lot of uh usual choices in any of his roles so Mm. i think he would have been like good but i think he would have been it would have been a very, very different movie with him in the role, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, and I know that I know that the actors inform the characters. Uh, if you watch the special features about the cast, you certainly get that sense that there are characters they didn't necessarily rewrite, but that they formed more fully after the actors sort of put their spin on it. But I uh, maybe it's because I've already seen him as a Peter Parker before, but I'm just struggling so hard to put him into that role based on just what we've seen i would have to do a little bit more creative thinking i think yeah. to, to see it happen do you think that was an avirad thing because because hmm. lord and miller sort of said they knew who they wanted <laughs> yeah i could see that like maybe they wanted to find some way to tie it into the film universe you know i could see that i, I think it's entirely possible hmm. and i mean i i think i think the problem with with toby doing it is that I don't feel like he would have sort of that kind of uh, grizzled, like sort of like hauntedness that that Jake Johnson gives to the character. I don't know know if he'd have the schlubbiness. I feel like the schlubbiness is like what Jake Johnson nails. That sort of like uh, I'm just like sitting on the couch watching TV and like scratching myself because no one's around type of (laughs) image. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he's literally just being like his character from New Girl (laughs) if he was Spider-Man. Like, yeah. 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 No, I'd agree with that. Like, Toby is really good at playing a dork he's mm-hmm. really good at playing kind of a weirdo yeah but that's that that's a version of a weirdo that i've never seen him play in any of his movies so yeah it would have been i i think they made the right choice ultimately yeah and i like that like with jake johnson in it i feel like they really like embrace like this really interesting like jewishness of peter parker mm-hmm. that that they wouldn't have otherwise which is yeah. really cool i'm glad they did that <laughs> and i like the the best thing about spider-verse as a concept 
is that you can tweak any element of any character and it fits somewhere in the multiverse. I know they didn't invent the multiverse. They've just played with it so well and they've embraced it in such a way mm-hmm. that you can you could literally just have a, a, a universe where like one thing is different and that makes everything feel authentic, you know? Yes. Like, like it's it's really hard to sort of nerd rage about something when they've embraced the concept of a multiverse so fully. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and they take advantage of it in this movie, I think, in, in great, great ways. They really do, yeah. That being uh, a good example. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and they and like you said, they kind of, they do a lot of like homage to the Raimi movies, um, which mm-hmm. I think is fair. That's the one, they that's the ones that like, no matter what, no matter what your feelings on any of the Spider-Man movies are, those are the ones that like the general population recognize the best, right? No matter what. So Yeah, and outside of just the Spider-Man universe, like really, really, I don't think you'd have the Marvel movies and cinematic universe you have without the success of those first two movies. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe yeah. it would have happened eventually, but... Eh. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was definitely very instrumental in in creating like the superhero world that we have now. We see yeah. you too, X Men. Like we're not yeah. forgetting about you, but yeah, and Blade too, to an extent. Yeah, that's so, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it was all it was a very gradual process. Like there wasn't one magic movie, but no. Spider Man is definitely like the the cultural touchstone. I think in a way that a lot of other movies hadn't been for a while. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, the, the the one extra note in addition to that is that in addition to all the like little sight gags that they have in the movie, um, the one line that we get from from Uncle Ben in this movie um, where he says his famous great power comes great responsibility line is an archival recording of Cliff Robertson yeah. from the very first Spider-Man movie back in 2002. Which is cool. Yeah, which is cool. I didn't, you know, it, I didn't really catch that. I, I had like suspicions that it sounded familiar when i first saw it Mm -hmm. but i didn't really it didn't register with me when i first watched it so yeah me neither it was cool because it's not like you know uncle ben's not a character in the movie so why not do something that people are familiar with yeah and none of the other spider-man movies after the raimi ones have uncle ben saying that which is still weird to me but (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i suspect it's because they as as much of an iconic line it is and how specifically attributed to a a certain character it is i'm guessing that they just don't want to put it on repeat i guess because in the amazing movies he says he says everything but that basically right exactly (laughs) like he gets to the exact same point but they're just they're remixing the line you know yeah or reimagining is probably the better way to put it yeah (laughs) yeah with great ability comes great accountability oh gosh that's not (laughs) how it goes Um, some other stuff that uh, you might catch in the background when Miles is visiting his uncle Aaron, the TV in the background is playing an animation blurred version of a scene from Community with Donald Glover in Spidey Pajamas, which is cool simply because it's Community and Donald Glover and all that. But it's especially cool because before we really had a lot of Miles content, people were really clamoring for for Donald Glover to be involved in a Miles story in some way, shape or form. You know, yeah. and so it's it's cool that 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 is recognized in yeah, this. I, people wanted him to play Peter, I think, before Miles was even probably was even created. I think, if I remember correctly, like Brian Michael Bendis had said, part of the his idea, like what sparked his idea for Miles, in addition to like his kids, um, yeah. was was Donald Glover like wanting to be Spider Man, a lot of and the big response to that. Um, so I mean, he's he's almost kind of a big part of like why Miles Morales even exists in general, which is really yeah. cool. Doesn't he actually play Aaron Davis in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? So yeah, he briefly. Plays Aaron- 
He plays Aaron <laughs> Davis in Homecoming. Yep. And he does voice Miles Morales in in one of the Spider-Man cartoons. Yeah. Too. So lots, cool. Donald Glover is very <laughs> a big a big part of of Miles Morales just in general. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, the other cool thing. So obviously there's a Stanley cameo in this movie. It's of course one of the best ever. Makes and I tear up every time you see it. I so fun <laughs> fact. I watched this movie three times in like the last 24 hours, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, let, let's just get it out of our system. Once it happens, I'm just gonna cry. And uh, then I won't do it again. But every single time. Yep. Every oh, single yeah. time. The third oh, yeah. time I watched it, that's the only thing I cried at. I still cannot stop. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, yeah. I, I, when I last time I rewatched, like, I, so good. there's a few scenes that I just, like, rewound and, re- like, watch it over and mm-hmm. over again because that's just how I do. And, yeah. yep, every time. There's no holding back for that. It's so, it's so good. It's so yeah. perfect. Don't fight it. But, other than that, the interesting <laughs> bit of trivia, like you obviously knew that he was in the movie. He's actually in the movie a lot. So a lot. A model, his model, um, I don't think it's it's often moving. It's usually just like the actual character model. But mm-hmm. it's present um, in like almost every single train that goes by and a few times on the street too. Not every single train, but like a lot of them. There'll be like split second little like frames where he's in it. He's, his model just appears all over the movie. And, and the main reason was actually that so many animators like wanted to have a hand in animating him in the movie understandable so and they can that's that's the magic of animation <laughs> yep yep and i mean like i didn't notice it doesn't affect the movie at all it's just a yeah. cool thing um again there's tons of stuff that you can just freeze frame in this movie and, mm-hmm. and get so many little easter eggs out and of I it i did oh yes <laughs> yes and plenty of plenty of things that we're gonna miss in this podcast there's there's no way to name them all oh yeah so much yeah. stuff yeah, this movie has so much stuff in it. It's so great. <laughs> yep. And 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 we are not uh, anywhere close to being towards the end of this movie's legacy because uh, we already know that they're working on a sequel because why would they not? Um, but in addition to that, they are supposedly working on a spinoff film already, which would be based on Spider-Women, um, focusing on... Three like three different generations of Spider-related characters, launched certainly by Spider Gwen, which we were introduced to in this film, but then also featuring supposedly, allegedly, however you want to want to qualify this, Jessica Drew, who is a Spider Woman, and Cindy Moon, who is a character known as Silk. It does have people attached to it, so this isn't something that's just like wild speculation. It's just that when films are being developed, you never know what their ultimate fate will be. So there are people attached and everything else is sort of TBD. Pretty much. So we'll see if that happens. It'll be cool if it does. I'm not holding out a lot of hope, but it would be cool if it happens. There are lots and lots of Spider-Man spinoff and related and tangential films that never saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. This could be one of them. We will see. <laughs> Hopefully not, but yep, we will see. The other sort of sequely kind of thing is that this movie was, of course, very successful. So yep. Sony was like, let's get Lord and Miller signed to a bunch of other stuff. So Sony gonna Sony. <laughs> So Lord and Miller were both signed to a five-year deal with Sony Pictures Television um, to create animated Marvel television series um, alongside Sony Pictures Animation. So in addition to working in the movies, they they are supposed to be having some hand in TV, whether that means that they're going to actually be like show running anything or if they're just going to like have an idea and throw it to someone else. Who knows? None of those are very far into development, but one possibility could be a TV series based on Into the Spider-Verse. Sure. 
don't really know how that would work, but it's understandable that they would have that idea because yeah. it's successful. Why not? Yeah. You know? None of that stuff is surprising to me. It also, unsurprisingly, um, makes me sort of nervous, but I'm glad to see that Lord and Miller are involved in some way or meant to be involved in some way, as opposed to just like, here's a product that was successful. Now we're going to make a ton of other stuff and uh, forget all the pieces and parts that made it successful. <laughs> right, right. You know, because that very easily could, or like could have and still could happen. <laughs> so crossing my fingers for all the best outcomes, and I look forward to seeing what happens. Yeah, me too. We'll see. Something will come. Yeah. We're going to get a sequel no matter what. Everything right. else will just be kind of like icing. So Yes. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to part one of our discussion of Into the Spider-Verse. That's right. We recorded so long, we split this episode into two parts. So be sure to check out our feed tomorrow. We'll be dropping part two, where we talk all about the cast of the movie and our favorite moments from the film. In the meantime, be sure to follow us on social media at WallopingWebPod. And if you are interested, we would love for you to check out our Patreon. See you tomorrow. Stepped out of my zone. My zone. I had to get out all alone. alone. And figure it out on my own. My own. And I know what I really want now. Sling along with me next week, friends. In the, well, I guess spider folks is probably better because not all of them are people, humans. I don't know. Mm, we'll start pigs there. Are people too. This, yeah, <laughs> pigs are people. All right, all the spider people. Uh, obviously, Miles. I thought you were saying that Detective Pikachu was all about like music and hip hop. And I was like, wait, what? Like Dick in a Vox, Lonely Island? Uh huh. Um, <laughs> Let's talk Doc Ock. Ooh, here she is. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye.